0: I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter, and we are going to continue in our third week of our series in 1 Peter. And Peter began his letter to the Christians dispersed across Asia Minor by singing praises to God who's given us salvation. That's what we've dealt with over the past few weeks. And he presses, Into where these Christians are at and where they're supposed to root their identity, which is in Christ. Their identity is people who are saved by the sprinkled blood of Jesus. And it's within his song of praise, his his praise to God for salvation, that we find the heart of Peter's letter. So today we're going to start to dig into how Peter believes that we are to go about living as Christians in a world that doesn't see Christianity as important or relevant. So it's actually for us today, just as it was for these churches in Asia Minor. Now essentially the theme of today's passage is the difference that salvation brings to the Christian life. Remember I talked last week about singing like the saved, about living saved, acting saved. There's this distinct difference between someone who is saved and someone who is not and did not take our salvation for granted. And so Peter starts off by breaking down four important concepts. Now, all these concepts are interlinked together. None of them flow on their own. They all have to flow out of the first section of this passage. So he encourages them with four specific things. To have hope, to live holy, to fear God, and to genuinely love each other. So let's dig into the text. I'm going to break it up and walk you through what it is that Peter is teaching us. He starts with the word, therefore, in verse 13 of chapter one. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now, When I first read this and I started to dig into the Greek text, like I was getting a little bit excited because this passage is absolutely loaded with meaning. That little section, one passage right here, sets the stage for everything that Peter is about to teach us. Now, the word therefore is actually not a passing word. It's an important word. Therefore, tells us that what he is about to say is directly connected to the things that he's just said above. So this salvation that you've received by grace, he says, it's not something you earned. It's, not some, it's something you receive freely by grace. This is what is required of you as a saved person. This is the result Of this wonderful salvation that we have received. So because we're saved, we should therefore, he says, have alert minds or sober minds. Now, the word that's translated as alert could also be translated as action. Some of your translations may have that. The passage could actually be rendered from the Greek like this. Prepare your minds for action. Or it's time to roll up our sleeves. Get ready for some action. Are you prepared for the hard work that's ahead? Now, essentially, Peter's calling us folks to wake up to the reality of where our hope is found. He's saying, have a loose grip on this world and a tight grip on the world to come. Now, This will take a mind, he says, that is actually ready for action, and a mind that is thinking clearly, or as the NIV says, fully sober. When he uses the word translated fully sober, It reads in the Greek with a tone of self-control. Now, we can sense that, right? When you're not sober, you're not in control. You don't have self-control. And so the tone is about self-control. So essentially, he's saying, be ready for action in a self-controlled way. So with minds that are ready to act with self-control. And I want you to notice something. Notice the grace that has been brought to you through Christ. This is what Peter's pointing us to. He says, set your hope with this sober, active, ready mind. Set your minds on this grace. Don't place your hope on anything else. Just the grace that has been promised to you. You see... It takes a mind that's ready for action, a mind that's not focused on the world around it to set its hope where it belongs in the grace of Christ. This is actually, folks, the key to the Christian life. Peter's giving it to us right now. The rest of the passage doesn't work without you setting your mind soberly, actively on the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. Set your hope where it belongs, in Christ. Because when we have clear sober minds that are ready to act, we will not be tempted to let sin capture our thoughts. Our hope must be in Christ and the promises that he has made to us. Hope can't be in the world or we will get lost in it. And the sin will come crouching in. This is why we must live our faith awake rather than asleep. I love that imagery. He's saying, wake up, Christian church. Live awake and sober-minded and ready for action. Paul says this. So then, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, let us not be... Like others who are asleep. But let us be awake and sober. You see, those who are asleep are focused on things of the world, not on salvation. As Christians, we must be ready to do the mental hard work that helps us focus on God's plan instead of our plan. This is what he's saying. It's actually not about you. I hate to tell you, I know your mom and dad told you your whole life you're special. (laughs) Right? I know the world tells you that you need to learn to love yourself more. and, And you need to learn to love yourself first in order to be able to love others. Those are lies. Folks. We can't be asleep. We can't set our hope in the things of this world. We have to do the mental hard work that helps us to focus on God's plan, not our plan. And the only way that we can do this is to orient our hope fully on the grace that's given to us the day that Jesus is revealed. Our minds should be focused on the promise God has given us, free grace. We live our lives for this promised future, Not the instant gratification that we seek today. Peter's entire thrust, folks, in this passage sets the stage for understanding how we should live the Christian faith. People say this to me all the time How do I live saved? How do I live the Christian faith? Peter just told us, set your mind on the free grace that you've been given, and that will launch you into living your faith. We must first place our trust in grace, in God's plan. If you're trusting other things, the rest of what Peter's going to say will not happen in your life. Our identity is built on the salvation that we've received through grace. And our lives must be focused on the future promise of the completion of that salvation. Our hope, folks, is not built on money on fame, on status, or power. People say to me, if I could just win the lottery, it would solve all my problems. I actually say, if you won the lottery, you got a huge problem with your faith. The Bible talks an awful lot about that, how those things become barriers from us living in the hope that we've received, but yet we build everything around our social statuses, our financial statuses, our vocational statuses. And that's a hope that we're placing. That's, we're living in a worldly hope. And our hope is hollow with things that just disappoint us and let us down. Have you ever noticed that people take your money The more I seem to have, the more my teenagers seem to take it away. It's a hollow hope. It's not something that I can build my identity in. You'll never find joy in salvation if your hope is in the things of this world. I think that's why the church struggles so much with joy. Because we placed our hope in everywhere but the promises of Jesus Christ. But when you place your hope on the future of God's promises, Peter says that it actually triggers something. That something will naturally happen in your life. And the first thing he says is holiness. In chapter, or verse, chapter 1, verse 14, listen to what he says. He goes on and he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Now, I want you to understand, folks, that Peter is writing this under the assumption that those receiving this letter are saved. So he's not writing to unsaved people. He's writing to those who are saved. And he's encouraging them, notice, to not fall back. To not fall back into the temptations of their old ways. Don't fall back into having hope in all of those things that will disappoint you. Instead, place your hope in Jesus and live your life holy. Now, that word holy or holiness is a hotbed word in the Christian culture. And it's, it's a word that is often drastically misunderstood. And it can be a word that when used with the wrong heart can actually bring a lot of hurt and pain rather than a life of holiness. The word itself, folks, in a biblical context is a, has an actual very simple meaning. It means to be set apart, to be different. So to be holy is to be set apart, to be different. God is holy. God is set apart. He's different than our world. And Peter says that Christians should take on the image of their father and be set apart and different as well. Don't claim to be saved and then blend into the culture. He says, be holy, be set apart, live differently. Now, I know, folks, that sometimes people describe holiness very different than that, but that is what the Bible's talking about when it says, be holy. And here's the thing that I don't want you to miss. You can never live a life of holiness if your hope is not in Christ alone. So if your hope is in money, if your hope is in things, you will never be able to attain holiness. You may build some good ethics, but they won't be holy there's a difference. You see, the world offers hollow things. It doesn't matter how great your ethics are, folks. The church has made a drastic mistake. What we've done is we've preached ethics for years. We've said, if you behave, if you don't go to the movies, if you don't go bowling, if anybody come from those eras where we weren't allowed to do anything, Right? If you don't swear, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, and if you do this and you do that, like go to church as much as possible, gregariously worship so it looks like you're saved, like, these, this is the way that we've described holiness, but holiness is actually about being set apart, that you think and that you live very differently than the world. Holiness is rooted in the motivation of the heart. It's not just about living ethically. It's about being set apart, thinking differently than our broken world. So if you have good ethics, but you don't think differently, you're not living wholly. Peter's calling on these Christians to be distinctly different than the culture around them, to think different, to act different, to make decisions differently. Folks, our culture encourages individualism and selfishness, but holiness encourages right thinking, which in turn becomes right acting. You see, if you're not thinking right, you won't act right. It has to be right thinking, which in turn equals right acting. Our ethics, folks, are rooted in what we believe. If our hope is in this world, then our ethics will be of this world. We might not do the bad stuff, But our ethics are still rooted in worldliness. But if our hope is in Christ, we'll have Christ-like motives. How we live our lives will show where our hope truly is. Now, the next part of this passage continues to be linked to holiness and hope. Peter says this, Since you call on a father who judges each each person's work impartially, meaning God doesn't play favorites, except when it comes to me, (laughs) live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Foreigners living in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty ways of life handed down to you, From your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. You see, Peter's connecting the need to have reverent fear of God in order to be living holy. He says that God is the only one who will judge us correctly. Anybody here ever felt judged? Guess what? Any judgment on this side of earth is done incorrectly. It's saturated with self-centeredness, usually insecurity. God is the only one who will judge correctly, and the reason for that, folks, is because he knows our hearts. You notice, and I don't get this in the Christian church, why we make it about the exterior when our interior can be still so messed up, because God is not looking at you wearing a suit. God is not looking at you uh, acting all holy and ethical. God is looking at the motivation of your internal heart. And that is actually where he will judge justly from. In other words, if you're a big faker, God knows you're a big faker. I don't even have to judge you on it. Because God's got that covered. Now, so having fear, or as I said in a past sermon, awe of God is what produces a heart that is ready for judgment. It's this fear of God that produces true wisdom that changes the way that we think. Scripture says that God will judge those who believe differently than those who don't. You know this, right folks? That believers are judged according to their... Can I hear it? Not their ethics, their works. You're going to be judged according to how serious you actually took your faith. And that starts in the heart. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. So this is, like, this is big stuff. This is movie kind of stuff. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Done. What we do in our life as believers matters. It's how we've been. Ju- it's how we'll be judged one day. So Peter encourages us to have minds that are ready for action, to be thinking clearly with our hope in Christ, to live holy, and to have a reverent fear of God. These things. Produce something. These things produce one thing that God calls us to. It produces genuine love to others. Listen to what Peter says. Now, I want you to notice, he starts with hope. He says, because your hope lies in Jesus, that will make the door open for you to live holy. And holiness opens the door for a reverent fear of God. And your hope, your holiness, and your fear of the Lord produce love. Pretty neat formulae. Listen to what he says. Now that you've been purified, I'm purified. Have you met me? He says, now that you've been purified, he's not even like saying, you know, maybe you've been purified. Let's hope you've been purified. And remember, he's, he's assuming you're saved. He's assuming you're living saved. And he says, now that, you've, now, now that you have purified yourselves, how? How did that happen? By obeying the truth. So that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply, he says, from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. Notice he used the word sincere. I love that he used the word sincere. Because he would imply that there are some that are not sincerely loving others. There's a difference. There's a difference. You can claim to love someone. You know, I'm welcoming you in in a loving way, but I actually dislike you completely. He says that this produces a sincere love for each other. Think about that a love that is sincere is unconditional. Have you ever, do you really love people unconditionally? Which means you aren't actually expecting to be loved in return. See, the minute you love and you expect love in return, you've put a condition on your love. And we do that as human beings saturated in sin, but sincere love is unconditional. It's the kind of love that God gives us. Because I'm not a super lovable guy, I often wonder how God could possibly love me but it's because he has a sincere love for me. And it's that sincere love that we are called to give others. When we place our hope in Jesus, when we live a holy life, a life that's set apart, when we fear the Lord and we prepare our hearts for judgment, it leads us to sincere love, an unconditional love. And now notice he also says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. I love it. Obedience to Christ that produces a truly loving heart. Christians are called to be set apart, to think differently and to love others. Folks, love is the foundation of the Christian heart. We're to love our enemies, our neighbors, and all of those who wrong us. This love can only be from the heart that seeks obedience to God's promises. And Christian love, folks, is different, and it's different because it's driven by holiness. Christian love is sincere, and it comes from what Peter says, deep in the heart. Now, Peter encourages these Christians who are suffering, by the way, their life sucks. And he's encouraging them to live their lives, this crappy life that you're being alienated from, made fun of, suffering in. He says, live that life, not trying to seek not being alienated, not trying to seek to fit in, but to actually be set apart, to live your life centered in Christ. Now, folks, I don't know. I've been here five and a half years. And I'm going to tell you that every single week that I've been here... I've encouraged you to center your life in Jesus. Every week, center your life in Christ. Build your life in Christ. Make Jesus the center of your life. Center your life in Christ. Make your decisions based on Christ. The result of that is love. So I don't even have to go around the room and try to determine who's doing it and who's not because the fruit of your life tells me who's doing it and who's not. The reality is this. Many of us focus most of our time and our energy on other things. God is a secondary priority. I've got stuff to do today. How do we fix that? Peter's teaching us in this passage how to focus our lives on Jesus and how to live a saved life. It's right there for us, yet we're driven by the world around us. Folks, the Christian church needs to reorient their hearts. I really believe that, especially the Western church. We need to reorient our hearts. We need to change our priorities by focusing on what God wants rather than what we want. Peter says that the only way to do this is to understand your identity in Christ and place your hope in the work of the cross. You see, if you're not doing those things, it'll always be about you and it will crash and burn. It will be hollow. It will be hopeless. You'll lack joy. You'll struggle to find joy. You'll struggle to hear the voice of God. We call so many things sin, but yet we don't call controlling sin. But I think control is the root of a lot of sin. But we'll alienate people from the Christian church because we think they're a sinner for this reason. But for some strange reason, control's okay? Seeking self-centeredness is okay? It's actually seen as competency? The Christian church needs to orient our hearts. And this is actually a really practical thing to do, folks. It's not a mystical practice. Living our lives with Jesus as our hope starts the moment that we wake up each morning. You must orient your heart around Jesus before your feet even hit the floor. Now, I do this. I can only tell you how I do it. But I do this by just taking a moment before I even get up. Before I've had my coffee, my eyes aren't even always fully open. To just have a heart of thankfulness. Now think about that. Waking up, praising God in thankfulness. It reorients the way that you think. And then I take a moment to dedicate my day to Jesus. When my feet hit the floor, I'm going to do everything today for you, Lord, not for me. Every conversation I have, every moment of my day is for you, Lord. In other words, I don't don't work for Doug and the board. Sorry. I don't work for you. Every day I work for Jesus. And that doesn't matter if I'm an accountant, a pastor, an engineer, a garbage person. Every day Christians are called to dedicate their day, their moment, their right now to work for Jesus. The Apostle Paul actually gives us this advice in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. I'm not just blowing smoke here, folks. This is what Paul says. He says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do everything for God's glory, not my own. If you can tackle each day, folks, with this mindset, it will change the way that you think. And can I encourage you to hold tightly to the promises the Lord has made? We, we have been given these amazing promises that we just ignore all the time. He's made these amazing promises to always be with us, to never forsake us. He gives us a promise of a future hope of a world without sin. Can you imagine a world without evil, a world without pain, a world without sin? I, I look at that and I say, that's a world without us. But yet, he promises that those who are saved will be with him in that perfect world. Think about that promise where Jesus is our King. So, live each day for God, and you'll find, folks, that the Holy Spirit will come alive in you. That joy won't just be a concept that you wish you had. Joy will be your natural reality. As Christians, we have hope. Those who don't know Christ are always searching for happiness. But those who know Christ are to live with hope, the kind of hope that satisfies our broken hearts. And the evidence of this hope is genuine love. The worship team can join me. Folks, the evidence of all of this is that we genuinely love another person. I was uh, going to the bank the other day. And I, I, well, I won't tell you what what bank I bank at. So I'm going to the bank, and in the bank, there's like ATMs, right? There's two of them. And there's a little ledge along the window. And uh, I walk into the bank, and there's a young girl sitting there. And it's very evident that this young girl has nowhere to go and that she, she's on her phone, okay? Now, some, some of you may have went, she's got a phone. How could she possibly be homeless? She's got a phone. Wipe that thought out of your mind because you obviously don't understand homelessness. Everybody and their mother has a phone, okay? So they got a phone. It's probably just a text-only kind of phone, uh, that's on and off at different times. And you can tell that she's texting around trying to find a place to sleep. And another young man comes in and you can tell that he knows her, but they're not really friends, but they know one another. And he comes in and he sits down. And so I, I can't help myself, right? Like most of the time we've been trained to just ignore what's going on because you know I, I was actually depositing money. Uh, and because I'm rich and wealthy as a Christian pastor, uh, it was, I don't even remember how much I was, anyway, let's just strike that. I can't help but interact with them. And so I said, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're fine. They were very pleasant. Weren't bothering me at all. Do you know what they said to me? Because I said, you have nowhere to go, do you? Well, no. Tim Hortons is closed down, Downtown. And so they used to be able to at least stay in there until 9 o'clock. Now, how many people have the thought, yeah, that gross Tim Hortons downtown? Folks, that gross Tim Hortons downtown kept people warm until 9 p.m. And now we no longer have that. And I don't know, as a Christian who loves others, how we can ignore that. And we don't, we're not called to judge the circumstance. We're not. I've worked in homelessness for years, and I understand more about homelessness than most of you, to be quite frank. And it is not what you think. It is not some kid who got on drugs and made some bad decision one day. Homelessness is usually caused by their parents' mistakes. It's a circumstance that they're left in by something they couldn't control. How is loving Christians with sincere love in our hearts, can we pretend like that doesn't exist? I had a conversation with some politicians in our community because I passionately want to do something about this and I feel that Evergreen needs to do something about this. (laughs) And you know what they said to me? There's no homelessness here. because we're too worried about our water bills, or our taxes, or whether we're being righted or wronged, or whether we're getting served properly. A Christian heart that puts their hope in the cross of Jesus Christ, doesn't worry about those things. Christian hope in the promises that he's given worries about everybody, feeling the love of christ in their life and so i don't know how the christian church can gather and do its thing and not have a heart for the lost in james what does he say the only religion that is acceptable to god is caring for the orphans the widows the poor and the oppressed that's the call of the church that's saved